So anyway, we're in a series on the book of James, and, um, and this week we're looking at James chapter 3 on the power of, of words. And if you don't know about the power of words, I have the best way to help you understand the power of words. Have children. That will blow everything up. If you have kids, you will learn very quickly that the words that you speak immediately create uh, some unintended consequences. A while back, um, we were at Redbox getting a movie for my seven-year-old. I don't remember what movie it was, but as you know, as you're sitting at the red box and there's all the advertisements for the other movies, and he looks up and he sees this advertisement for the movie Child's Play. You know what Child's Play is? We're talking about Chucky, the little doll that, that stabs people. I was in a show a picture today, and Hannah said it was too scary for people, so she wouldn't even let me show it. I tried to find a really scary one to freak everybody out. But he asked me, he looked up there, and he sees it, and he goes, Dad, what is that movie? And, and so I'm tired at that point, and I'm not thinking... And, and so I, I don't process and filter through what I should say in that moment. And I said, just Isaiah, it's about a little kid's doll who comes to life and he kills everybody. <laughs> and which is true. I'm telling him the truth. It's not like I'm lying to him. So I'm telling him what's, what's, you know, I figured that's the best, you know, process for me is to be able to do that. And so he doesn't say anything. He doesn't, you know, there's no you know, oh my gosh, dad, we go home, we get the other movie. But what happened over the next two weeks is that there was a nightmare almost every single night about Chucky, about a movie he's never seen before and has only seen a picture on the outside of the red box. And now it just came on Amazon too. And he saw that the other day and just freaked out as well. So I have absolutely killed parenting um, in, in more ways than one. He's never seen it, but for some reason, just the explanation in the the picture has created this world for him where anytime he sees anything associated with a small child or a, a doll, he will absolutely run away. You know, Rabbi Abraham Heschel is one of my favorite uh, thinkers, and he says words create worlds. And that's what my words for my son did in that moment. It created world, a world for him that was very unintentional. It created nightmares for him, which was pretty awesome. But, but we live in a world today where we understand the power of words, don't we? We understand that words create realities. They create worlds that can, can cause a lot of pain, can cause a lot of trouble every single day. Both the words we speak and the words that we receive every single day create realities that we speak out and realities that we ourselves find ourselves living under and profess found ways. So in 2018 now, here, here we are, we're in a time when there is a all-out battle for our allegiance, for, for our attention, for us to look and to see. And words are used as the weapon of choice to get our attention, to get our allegiance to a particular side. It's amazing, isn't it, how one event nationally can on one cable news channel be seen as one thing and then if you turn it to a different cable news channel, it's an entirely different event, isn't it? Different facts, different stories. It's why in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary International Word of the Year was post-truth. Because we live in a society now where words are so meaningless to so many people that you can, in our cultural climate, speak whatever you want and make that the facts, the alternative facts of what you might think is actually true. You get to form your reality and speak these words out no matter whether or not they are true or valuable whatsoever. And that's just nationally. I think we all know 
on a personal level, how much our words impact our friendships, impact our families, impact our marriages, our parenting, our jobs. Words really, really matter. Because maybe you grew up with a verbally abusive parent. Or maybe you have a boss at work that kind of has that really uh, passive-aggressive, biting comment that he can kind of just throw in there just to make you feel that extra special bit of angry at him. Or maybe you've been the victim of gossip or rumors about you. Somebody spread a, a word about you or told you somebody, somebody something about you that wasn't true and your reputation was damaged or maybe even ruined You've experienced maybe that power of words in that way. Or maybe on the other side of the spectrum, maybe someone has spoken a word to you at a certain point in your life and that piece of encouragement puts you on the path that you are today. Maybe somebody says, even though I, that, that, that nobody else believes in you, I believe in you and here's why. And when someone speaks that over you, man, doesn't that stick with you? I can think of a time when I was in high school when, when a campus ministry leader gave me confidence in what he felt like God was calling me to. And I remember that moment. I remember where I was. I remember how he said it, every detail, because those words to me were so powerful. Rabbi Hesh was so right. Words create our worlds. This is how our story actually literally begins at the first page of the Bible. This is how we first understand God. He creates world by what? Speaking. God creates our world by speaking. It says in Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. That God said that he spoke the world into existence. The world was created by the voice of God, literally speaking our universe into existence. The creative force of God started with words. We now know from molecular physicists that they believe that all atoms at their basic level, every single atom in the universe that is matter, is a vibration. So, so Brian Greene, he's a, he's a physicist, he, he wrote a book, and in this book he, he described how um, basically all matter is music. Every single thing that we're experiencing because it's vibration, it's sound, is music. So take that from a biblical perspective. What we begin to understand is that when God spoke the world into existence, we are literally the voice of God. Every single minute piece of matter is the voice of God speaking into existence. Isn't isn't that cool? I love that. That is so amazing. And so as image bearers of God having his dignity, worth, and value, and calling, we have to recognize that in a smaller sense, our words have that same creative force. They can speak life or they can speak death. And in fact, when the story continues in Genesis 3, we see the power of words filtered through sin, filtered through our own brokenness, begins to cause some very, very damaging situations. And that's exactly why James gives us the pictures that he gives us earlier in chapter three. And we're gonna look at it here again. Look with me here. It says, now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct the, their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. 
Consider how a small fire set ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of righteousness, is a place among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and it is itself on fire by hell. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, your tongue is on fire with hell. I just want to see if you do it. I didn't think you'd really do it. James is uh, James not playing around here. He sees the power. That word for hell is the same word that Jesus uses for hell. When it says, it's the word Gehenna. And, and Gehenna means uh, a literal place. There was a valley outside of Jerusalem that was... And, and centuries before Jesus' time was used by pagans as child sacrifice. They used that area for child sacrifice. And so they saw that area as unclean. So they moved all of their, their, their basically their garbage dump into that valley. And it became the garbage dump. It became a place that was always on fire, burning trash. And so James is literally saying, not just that this is hell, James is talking about our tongue left on its own is literally a burning dumpster fire by modern standards. I love that picture. So what do we do? Because last week we talked about how we, we need to connect our faith with actions in James chapter 2. And the, the only way to do this, we said, was to start with our hearts because our hearts are where our actions always flow out of. It's where we always find our source. All of us, whether we're religious or not, whether we know Jesus, whether we don't believe or believe, we are irreducibly living from our hearts. You're living from what's inside you. It's true of our actions, and it's also true of our words. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, he says, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What we say is a direct line from our heart. Always, always, always a, pr a product of what is happening inside us. And it means that our strategy as followers of Jesus can't be religious behavior modification. It can't just be stop that bad talking, stop that cussing, stop those bad things. It has to go deeper than that, doesn't it? See, it's not behavior modification. It's not try harder, but, but it's actually heart transformation that changes the way we speak. When our heart changes, the way we talk to others, the way that we use our words begin to change. So this, this message today is not about how you can take six easy steps to having better biblical Christian language. It's not about that because that just doesn't work. It makes you guilty. It makes you shameful. When you fail, you start feeling worse and things just snowball. That's not good news. The good news that we need is that God can change our hearts. And as God changes our hearts, God begins to change the way that we speak to the world. And so what we see in James and what we see in the New Testament is a picture of what it looks like to have a heart that's transformed so that our words also transform. Because I don't know about you, but I believe if we are followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is actually living inside of us, we should speak and use words a little bit differently, right? Is there an amen to that? I don't think that maybe we should feel at home in a world that uses words so carelessly as they do right now. 
There should be something different about us. So what I want to do is I want to look at three things that are signs, guideposts of what it looks like to have a heart transformed and have our words transformed as a result of that. The first thing that we find in James 1 is that a transformed heart listens first. A transformed heart listens first. Look at me in verse 19. It says, it says, it says my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You may not know this, but as followers of Jesus, our first communication practice is not figuring out what we have to say. It's figuring out how we're supposed to listen. That's with believers, that's with non-believers. Our call first is to be good listeners. And we're not always known as good listeners, are we? Stephen Covey, he famously says that most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. I love that because that's what we do most of the time. We listen because we want to win an argument. We listen because we want to make sure that our side gets spoken out. We want to make sure that our information is louder than the other people's information. And we often do not start with the simple task of listening to where people are. My friend Matt, who disciples me, I'm part of this leadership cohort uh, nationally, and, and he, calls this, uh, he calls this compassionate curiosity. Compassionate curiosity. It's having the curiosity about what's actually happening in people's lives and having the compassion to listen gently into that. I love that phrase. That phrase has just stuck with me. To have a listening posture with compassionate curiosity. It's central to our witness as believers, is learning how to listen well to people who are unlike us. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer many, many years ago put it this way. He said, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. That's powerful. So a transformed heart, it listens First, and the second thing we see is that a transformed heart refuses to demonize and belittle others. Look at James 3. We just read this earlier. It says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Our words should be different, shouldn't they? The way we speak should be different. This in our world right now is massively important for us to understand. The normal practice, what you are told to do is to draw the line, find who's on the other side and figure out ways not to just disagree with them, but to undermine their humanity in general to push them down a little level, to stand over them morally superior to who they are. That is what we are being taught and discipled to do every single day. Do you understand that? Subconsciously, we are being formed as a society to demonize and belittle people who are not like us. 
That is normal now. And it should not be this way. As followers of Jesus, James says it should be different. There's a duplicity. He says, how can you praise God? How can you come to church on Sunday morning and sing God's praises and speak and put all of these things out on social media and Facebook about your spirituality and then at the same time, the next post, talk about how that guy is the devil. It doesn't make sense, the duplicity of it. And James gives us an answer. It's not because that's not what we should do. He says, because these people are God's image bearers. God's image bearers. That means that they have dignity and worth and value in the eyes of God. And if they have dignity, worth, and value in the eyes of God, they should have dignity, worth, and value in our eyes as well. Guess what? Your political adversary, they're an image bearer. I'll just go go there. Donald Trump is an image bearer. Hillary Clinton is an image bearer. Nancy Pelosi, just keep naming off politicians that people hate, image bearer. Now, does that mean we can't disagree with people? No. But in that disagreeing, I will not dishonor your humanity. I will not look at you and demean who you are. In my disagreement, I will recognize that in you, you are made in God's image. And for me to demean your humanity is to demean God. Now, that's not a fun word. I get that. Because it's easy and it's kind of fun. Because you can get likes and you can get retweets and you can get all of your anger out there and it feels so good sometimes and you get people saying yes and screaming you can really draw a crowd i can draw a crowd around i can i could build a church guys on being on one side of the aisle talking about how terrible everybody else is that's just not the kingdom of god it's not that's why we need these words spoken into our lives. And so a transformed heart, it listens first. A transformed heart refuses to demonize and belittle others. And finally, a transformed heart builds up where others tear down. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who Listen, growing up, I consider this a grandmother verse because this was a verse that she told me to, and always quoted to me to make sure I didn't say the cuss words and the bad things, right? Don't say those bad cuss words. And, and, and that's fine, sure. I mean, I, I, know, I know some of you, you cuss like sailors. I get that um, and, and, and whatever. But that, and that's, you know, make of it what you will. But that's not exactly what he's talking about here. That word for unwholesome is the word sapros in the Greek. And what that actually means is rotten or unfit. I used this, this metaphor this past summer when we talked about another series, but we were going to Lowe's when we were doing some work on my house and, and Chad was taking the boards, the two by fours we were using to build stuff. And he was taking them down and looking at each one of them to make sure it was straight and to make sure that there was no rotten pieces because if it was like that, it would be unfit to use to build. So that's exactly the picture Paul's giving us here with our words. Our words, we should be careful about how we use our words to make sure that every word can be used by God to build people up and not tear them down. Being incredibly, incredibly careful with the way that we speak. 
And you know, I, at first I thought, That's, that feels like I'm going to have to always uh, you know, walk on eggshells. And then God told me in a pretty clear way through his word there, if you were quick to listen, you'd have more time to think about that. <laughs> it says it right there. Maybe we could be more measured and more wise with our words if we did listen first. A recent study in Harvard Business Review found that that the positive comments are more effective in productivity than constructive criticism by a ratio of six positive comments to every one negative comment. Six more times more effective in motivating by giving you a positive comment. There's a book uh, written by a researcher of marriage by the name of John Gottman. He talks about the number one predictor of divorce is the ratio of positive to negative comments in communication. That's crazy. Our words have power, and our words can create worlds. And I don't have to tell you all the time how much of a tear-down world this is. Of a tearing people apart on a daily basis, on your TV screens, on your social media, at your jobs. Words are being used to wage war against God's fellow image bearers. God's image bearers are being belittled and demonized and dehumanized. And it is not the way of the kingdom of God. We should not feel at home in that world, friends. We should not feel at home. It's becoming an industry to insult people and to be mean to people. And in fact, they're making money off us. Because when you get fired up and you click on that blog, they know you're going to come back. And you know what? They're going to get you more angry. And they're going to get you more angry. They're going to get your ratings. They're going to get, make sure they get your attention and your affection and your anger to be so clear. And you know what? They're laughing all the way to the bank because it's just branding. They just want us to hate one another because it makes a lot of money. That's just the truth. Now, when I say that we need to speak life I'm not just talking about the power of positivity that's good, that's kind of detached from reality. Let's be honest. It's really hard to be positive these days, isn't it? (laughs) It's pretty tough. I don't think the role of a Christian is to go around and be positive in a way that seems detached from reality. I know those people, and they're really annoying, aren't they? When they always have that special, you know, happy verse that can go in and and you're like, that's nice, but it doesn't really help right now. You know, those words are important, but it's not really help. There's a difference between being positive and being hopeful. Being positive is detached from what's actually happening. Hope can step into the darkness. Hope can weep with our brothers and sisters who are experiencing pain and rejection. And hope can speak life in the middle of that. We don't need to leave here today thinking, I need to go out and be more positive. We need to leave here today thinking, I need hope in my heart for where I'm at. Because out of hope, I can speak life where there is death. This is the encouragement that we receive in Hebrews. It says that let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see 
the day approaching. I don't know if you know this or not, but the reason the New Testament gives for any time that we're together, when we're singing, when we're doing this on Sunday, when you're together with city groups or meeting with coffee, what God intends as we gather is that we would build one another up. We would encourage and speak life into one another, spur one another on towards good deeds. That's why we gather, whether in a large group or a small group, that is the purpose of what we're doing here. And that word encouragement is so per- perfect because I'm not talking about Hallmark greeting card stuff here. I'm not talking about this little uh, nice flowery invitation that makes you kind of feel uh, nice. What I'm talking about with encouragement is something way, way bigger and way more needed. That word encouragement means to literally to give courage. It means that you are stepping into the battle with someone, whatever they are facing, and you are using your words in the midst of that battle to say, I will fight with you. I will fight for you. You're using your words to literally give them courage in what battles they are facing. Who in here is facing battles? Some of you aren't. Good job. You did it. I know you are too. We are all facing battles. And what the church is meant to do in the midst of our battles is to know one another and love one another enough not just to say, God's got it, it's going to be all right, but to be in the midst of the battle with them enough to be able to say, here's how I will fight with you. Here's how God is fighting for you, and I am not with you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not leaving your side. So I, as we close today, I want to do something very practical for us. In our time of response that we're about to have as we take communion and pray, I guarantee you in your life right now, you're either facing a battle or you know someone around you that's facing a battle. And I want you to do something. I want you to pray and I want you to ask God who he wants you to speak that life into. Your words can create worlds. And what we need desperately in this tear down world is a community of people of the Holy Spirit know how to speak life into one another. When there is hopelessness and pessimism, we use our words to build up. So pray, who is that? Who needs to be encouraged? Who can you speak life into? Ask God who that is. If they're in this room, I dare you to go do it. I dare you to speak that to them. Or if you're here today and you need courage, You are facing a battle. You're not alone in that. That's why we have prayer teams here every week because we believe prayer is where we show we're strong. If you need prayer, we can encourage you in the midst of your struggle. Please come back in the back. We'll have some folks back there that would love to pray for you. However that may be, today we respond by listening to what God has done for us in communion and receiving that, the encouragement he gives us. So I want to pray for us here. And then we're going to take a time and respond. Jesus, you say in your word, in John 1, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that you are what God wanted to say to the world. You are the living embodiment of God's loving, gracious voice speaking life into us. And Jesus, by your life, 
and your death and your resurrection, we have found a new heart. We have found a new kingdom apart from the kingdoms of this world that that breathe antagonism and hatred into us. We breathe that out and we breathe in your love for us. So Jesus, today, we receive that. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us today the words and the person that we need to speak into or the people, maybe there's multiple people that you want us to speak life into. God, make our hearts different. Make our hearts knowingly different in a world that tears down. Let people, as we go about our day at our jobs, at our schools, wherever we may be at home, let people see a tangible difference by a people who are hopeful and speak life where everyone else is tearing down. So thank you for your sacrifice for us, Jesus, that has given us this ability to be transformed. We respond to you in this time in Jesus' name.